Well, what we're doing this morning is we're working our way through John chapter nine. Through John chapter nine, it's a longer passage, but it's a beautiful passage, and so we're going to give our attention to the reading of God's word. Thanks, Noah. John chapter nine will begin in verse one. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not this man who sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world." Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but, but he looks like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to, the, said to him, how then were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud uh, with, with saliva and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. So they said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought him to the Pharisee, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was the it was the Sabbath day when Jesus had made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, "He put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see." Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, or he, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know this, that this is our son, and that he was born blind, but how he sees now we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes." Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that, anyone, that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? 
He answered them, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into the world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we, bl- are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you see, now that you say we see, your guilt remains. This is God's word. Let's go to him now in prayer. O oh Lord our God, we ask you that you would open our eyes so that we may see Jesus. Give us the eyes of faith. Give us the eyes to see our our sin and our desperate need for salvation. And Lord, enlighten us that we may know you, that we may follow you, that we might do your will. We ask, Lord, that you would speak to us in your word, for we, your servants, are listening. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you remember the magic eye craze from the 1990s? Anybody? Uh, I've got a slide of it in the back. You want to put that up for me? I think all of our slide people left. I think maybe they're all uh, in the back. Okay, give me the slide. Ready? Oh, there's no slide in the slideshow. Well, I was going to show you the magic eye. You'll just have to remember it in your mind, okay? There was a time in uh, around 1992 or thereabouts where you could not go anywhere without seeing one of these posters. It looked like a completely random series of dots on the paper, but if you stared at it long enough, then it morphed into a picture. Now, I have a confession to make. I could never see the magic eye picture. 30 years ago, I would stand in front of one of these pictures at the mall, and I would stare at them. The mall was uh, where we used to buy things before Amazon was. (laughs) I would stare at this magic eye poster in the mall, and nothing. I would never see it. People would walk up next to me, look at that thing for five seconds, and say, hey, a sailboat. Then another guy would walk up, 
stare at it for another few seconds, and say, oh, look, two unicorns playing checkers. For me, it was always just a maddening collection of dots on a paper. I couldn't see it. I discovered that being unable to see the magic eye picture is a lot like being a bad bowler. If you can't see the magic eye people, the magic eye poster, you get a lot of unsolicited advice uh, from people who can clearly see the magic eye picture. If you can't see the picture and everyone else can see the picture, then everyone else on earth feels compelled to explain it to you as if it were merely lack of information that is preventing these dots from becoming the Mona Lisa. Now, I take you down that trip down memory lane to the world of the Magic Eye 1990s because I have no idea what it's like to be blind, but I do know what it's like to be unable to see. I know on some small level how alone you can feel when you're the only one who can't see. I know on some small level what it feels like to be helpless. I know on some small level what it feels like to be an outsider. I think everyone knows what that feels like with or without the magic eye. It's never fun to be on the outside of an inside joke. It's never fun to be the one person who's picked last. It's never fun to be the one person who just doesn't belong. In Jesus' day, there were a lot of people who felt like they just didn't belong. Some of those people were blind, but a lot more of them couldn't see. There's a difference. Like in our time, some people were physically blind. In our story, we're told that Jesus healed a man who was born blind. We don't know exactly how old he was when Jesus healed him, but the text does tell us that he was of age. And at one point in the story, the Pharisees called for his parents. So we can assume that he was probably in his late teens or early 20s. He had a physical disability. Many people did in those days, and many people still do in our day. Jesus loved disabled people. When Jesus wasn't arguing with religious people or teaching Christian people, he was healing and helping disabled people. That's who he was. But here's the interesting thing. If you read through the Gospels, you'll see that most of the time, the blindness Jesus encountered wasn't physical blindness, it was spiritual blindness. In this story, we meet spiritually blind disciples, spiritually blind Pharisees, spiritually blind villagers, and a physically blind man who was also a spiritually blind man who wasn't healed until the closing verses of the chapter. Jesus hints at that in verse 39 when he said, For judgment I came into the world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see might become blind. Do you see what he's saying? This story is about a man who is healed from his physical blindness, but if we stop there, we miss the greater truth that Jesus is communicating with this miracle. He came to open the eyes of our hearts. 
He came to give us faith so that we can see the real world as it really is for the very first time. He even calls himself, lest we miss it, the light of the world. The bad news is there's a lot of darkness in the world, a lot of spiritual darkness. We see that all around us every day. We see it in our families, in our neighborhoods, in the world. We see it in our own hearts. That's why we confess our sins together each and every week, because even our hearts are blind to our true spiritual condition until Jesus opens our eyes. The good news is, the good news of the gospel, that that is exactly what Jesus came to do. He opens our eyes to see our sin, allowing us to see that we need God's grace. And he opens our eyes to see Jesus, the Savior of sinners, who gives us the grace that we so desperately need. The question for you this morning is, have you seen Jesus? Has Jesus opened your eyes? How does that happen? How does Jesus give sight to people who can't see? And how does Jesus give blindness to some people who think that they can? These are some of the questions that we'll try to answer this morning as we look at one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. The story of Jesus healing a man who was born blind. This story has it all. Comedy, tragedy, irony, profundity indefatigability. That one was for Steve. He loves that word. So where do we begin? Well, normally I would do kind of a three-point outline or three or four big questions, but this story is a little bit different. In this story, we have a, really a two-act outline, act one and act two. So instead of exploring kind of two or three big ideas, we're just going to walk through this story together. In Act 1, we'll see the blindness of the disciples and the physical healing of a physically blind man. So the blindness of the disciples and the physical healing of a physically blind man. That's Act 1. And then we'll move on to Act 2, where we'll see the blindness of the Pharisees and the spiritual healing of a spiritually blind man. So the blindness of the Pharisees and the spiritual healing of a spiritually blind man. Along the way, we'll meet some blind villagers. We'll meet two blind parents. And we will see that our greatest need is Jesus, the light of the world. All right, are you ready? Let's take a closer look. We begin with Act 1, where Jesus began, that's always a good idea, with a group of spiritually blind disciples who have a question about a physically blind man. Verse 1, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now that seems like an odd question, does it not? Generally, when we encounter a disabled person, our first instinct isn't to try to blame that disabled person for their disability. It seems like a crazy thing to do. I, I have said and done a lot of sinful and foolish things in my life. But I have never walked up to a person in a wheelchair and said, 
I wonder what she did to deserve this. Isn't that a weird reaction? So why would the disciples ask this? Well, on one level, they were just doing what all of us do when we see problems in the world. Our first instinct is to ask, who's responsible for this? Who's to blame? Why is this country going down the tubes? It must be his fault. It must be her fault. It must blame the parents, blame the schools, blame the president, blame the old president. Somebody has to be blamed when we see that something is wrong in the world. Who sinned Jesus? This man or his parents that he was born blind. Well, in this case, what the disciples really wanted was an explanation of one of the finer points of Jewish law. You can tell because they called Jesus rabbi in verse 2. In Jesus' day, the rabbis taught that if something bad went wrong, if there was someone who was suffering, then God was punishing that person. That was the only possible explanation. If you read the Old Testament, you'll find the same line of reasoning in the book of Job. When calamity fell upon Job, Job's three friends came around him, and they tried to pinpoint what exactly Job had done wrong. That's almost the whole book. Job is pleading his innocence. He's saying, I didn't do anything wrong. And they're saying, just admit it. Confess your sins. Clearly you've done something because bad things aren't supposed to happen to good people. But here, in this case, we have a unique situation because this man was born blind. So either he sinned somehow in the womb, which seems unlikely, or maybe his parents sinned while he was in the womb, which seems unjust. But either way, the disciples knew or thought they knew that someone must be blamed. Who did it, Jesus? Who sinned? This man or his parents, who's to blame? Verse 3, Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Here's what Jesus is saying. Sometimes bad things happen to us, and we simply don't know why. We would like to know, but sometimes only God knows. In this case, the man was born blind so that the works of God might be displayed in him. In other words, God used this man's disability to show him and us his boundless compassion He used this man's disability to show us his power and his glory. He used it to show us that he is our Savior and our King. He used it to show us that he is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. In Isaiah chapter 35, we are specifically told that the Messiah, when he came, would heal blind people. Isaiah 35 verse 5, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. 
Then shall the lame man leap like the deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. There is something about God that we can never know without this story. There's something about God that we can never know without sickness and suffering. There's something about God that we can never know without pain and heartbreak. Now, the fact that God reveals himself in our suffering and our pain doesn't minimize our suffering and our pain, not at all. But it does redeem and and reframe our suffering and our pain. When we're suffering, when we're sick, when we're facing some seemingly insurmountable obstacle, God transforms our suffering and our pain into an opportunity to experience on a deeper level the love of God who entered into our suffering and our pain when he died on the cross in our place. The disciples couldn't see that. So many of us struggle to see it. And so Jesus illuminated them. He opened their eyes. At this point in the story, after all that they had experienced with Jesus, walking with him and talking with him and listening to him preach and teach and seeing the miracles, they still looked at Jesus and they saw a rabbi, a teacher. Someone who could help them climb the ladder up to God. Jesus was about to show them the face of God. Verse 6, having said these things, Jesus spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went, and he washed, and he came back seeing. Now, it might be impossible to know exactly why Jesus healed the man the way he did. He could have simply said, you know, restore your sight, and and his sight would have instantly come back to him. He could have touched him. There's so many things that Jesus could have done. But what strikes me about this scene is the way that this healing shows us a picture, a tiny glimpse of the way that God heals us. The very Son of God, the God who dwells in unapproachable light, spit on the ground. He healed this man by being dirty, by rubbing his hands in the dirt and the mud. He touched this poor beggar's eyes, likely caked over with grime and dirt, sickness and disease. Here's the message behind the method. No matter how sick you are, no matter how dirty you are, no matter how filthy you are, no matter how sinful you are, no one is too dirty for Jesus. No one is too filthy for Jesus. No one is too sinful for Jesus. No one is too lost. No one is beneath him. He doesn't heal us because we're worthy. We become worthy because he heals us. He doesn't heal us because we're clean. His healing makes us clean. 
If Jesus didn't spit on the ground, if he didn't touch the dirt and the disease, we would be lost because our hearts are dirty and diseased. Even the good things we do, even our best intentions, even our best day of the week, we are stained with selfishness and resentment and pride. We're we're a mess, all of us. But because Jesus loves us, he takes our dirt. He takes our guilt. He takes our shame. Jesus humbled himself in order to heal us. He died so that we could live. On the cross, the same hands, the same calloused carpenter's hands that touched the dirt and the spit and the mud were nailed to a dirty Roman cross, which was covered in even more sickness and filth and disease than this blind man's eyes. There, it wasn't his saliva, but his blood that was spilled out on the ground. And he endured each agonizing moment so that we could see God, so that our eyes could be opened, so that we could live with God as his sons and daughters forever and ever. Amen. Who loves like that? After Jesus touched this man's eyes, he told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam, which John helpfully notes means scent. If there's any ambiguity in why Jesus touched the dirt and the ground to make clay, there's none here, my friends. Seven times in the book of John, Jesus is referred to as the Holy One who has been sent by God. Jesus was sent so that we could see the face of God. Jesus was sent to be the light of the world. Jesus was sent to open our eyes. That takes us to Act 2, the blindness of the Pharisees and the spiritual healing of a spiritually blind man. The blind man, having received his sight, we now turn to the spiritual blindness of the Pharisees, a group of deeply religious men who, ironically, sought to enlighten the nation of Israel by teaching them God's laws. Now, before we get to the the Pharisees, I would be remiss if I didn't point out the hilarity that ensues in verses 8 through 10. When the blind man encountered his neighbors, ironically, the neighbors didn't recognize him. They couldn't see him. They couldn't, the, he saw them, but they didn't recognize him at all. In a way, they were more blind than he was at the beginning of the story. Verse 8, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He said, it was Jesus. And they said, where's Jesus? So they couldn't see him either. And then the man said, I don't know. Because even though uh, he could now see in the most important way, he still couldn't see. 
He couldn't see with the eyes of faith. Not yet, anyway. Back to the story. Now, the man's neighbors brought the man to the Pharisees, who proceeded to demonstrate their own spiritual blindness by having a heated argument about whether it was permissible for Jesus to heal this man on the Sabbath day, about whether Jesus had broken God's law. Now, the question is, what did the Pharisees miss? I already alluded to Isaiah 35, where God told the people very explicitly, when the Messiah comes, he's going to open the eyes of the blind. That's how you'll know. They completely missed it. What I didn't mention is Psalm 146, verse 8, where we read, The Lord, Yahweh, the great I Am, opens the eyes of the blind. In other words, only God can open people's eyes. Jesus just opened someone's eyes, and so we would expect the Pharisees to say, Ah, I see, he must be God. But is that what they said? No. They said, he must be a sinner. He must be violating God's law. Total blindness. Like a young Pastor Joel standing before the magic eye poster, they could not connect the dots. There's more. The religious leaders were also blind to the true nature of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was supposed to be a foretaste of heaven. The Sabbath is a celebration of rest and worship and mercy. On the, on the Sabbath day, the Lord's day, we as God's people get to experience a tiny taste of shalom. A Hebrew word that means wholeness and peace. That's what the writer of the book of Hebrews was talking about when he wrote, So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. The Pharisees, spiritually blind, were essentially saying, How dare Jesus heal someone on healing day? As if there were a better day for Jesus to demonstrate the power of God's grace. It's amazing. Jesus came to fulfill the law. He came to give us healing and rest. It was happening right before the Pharisees' eyes. And they completely missed it. Are you missing it? Are you missing the rest that Jesus came to bring? Are you missing the healing and the hope that Jesus came to bring to this world? Has Jesus opened your eyes to see the glory of what he's doing in the world and in your life and will do for everyone who believes? If not, ask him to show you. Ask him today to open your eyes so you can see the wonder of the gospel, the wonder of God's free, irresistible grace which he's given us in the person of his son, Jesus Christ the healer of our bodies and our souls. Back to the story. The Pharisees were falling all over themselves, trying to deny what was staring them right in the face. 
So they decided to ask the now formerly blind man for his eyewitness testimony. Again, I love the story. Is there a better story than this story? You know, we need eyewitnesses to testify against Jesus. Uh, somebody call that blind guy. He's seen pretty well these days. Well, here he comes. Verse 17. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. Ooh, he's close. He's so close. That dimmer switch is turning up little by little. Now, this is somewhat of an aside, but that's how many of us come to faith, isn't it not? You know, sometimes the light switch goes on, boom, the light is on and we can see. For others of us, it takes a little bit of time for our eyes to adjust to the light. It's more of a, of a dimmer switch where the realization of who God, God is gets a little bit brighter and brighter as we study his word, as we hear the gospel, as we surround ourselves with Christian brothers and sisters. But back to the story. The Pharisees weren't wild about even that mild affirmation of Jesus, so they tried a different approach. Maybe this man wasn't actually blind. Maybe this is all a hoax. Maybe it's a conspiracy. Call his parents. Let's see what they have to say. Verse 20, his parents answered, We know that this is our son, good, and that he was born blind. Hey, there we go. But how he sees now, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age, he'll speak for himself. These two should be politicians. I mean, that's like, uh, you could take that answer right to the debate stage. Uh, I can neither confirm nor deny that Jesus uh, healed our boy. Uh, I don't know, why don't you ask him? Well, there we go. Back to the son, verse 24. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. That's kind of like saying, swear to God. You know, swear on your mother. Swear on your kids. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Short answer, no. Uh, they very much did not want to become his disciples. They began hurling insults at him. They began hurling insults at Jesus and the man that he healed. Verse 28, And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, Jesus, we do not know where he comes from. Apparently, they missed the first Christmas. The angels, the shepherds, the wise men from the east, Pharaoh, not Pharaoh, the Herod and the killing of the... How could they miss it? Totally blind. Maybe they didn't really want to see. Verse 30, the man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worship of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. 
If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. That was the final straw for the Pharisees. Blinded by rage, they threw the man out of the synagogue, which was not only a violent physical removal, which certainly it was, but also his excommunication. Do you see the irony here? Back when this man was blind, physically blind, he had been an outcast in his community. He had been a beggar. People paid as much attention to him as we pay to the people who ask for money from us on the street. Maybe a glance, and then we quickly avert our gaze. We look away. It's too uncomfortable. It's too painful. He was excluded. But Jesus healed him and restored him. He was back. He was no longer an outcast. He was part of the community again until the blind Pharisees put him out of the synagogue and out of the people. Jesus heard what they had done and came to, them, came to him again. The first time it was to restore his physical sight. This time it was to restore his spiritual sight. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believed, believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into the world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see, the Pharisees, the legalists, the moralists, may become blind. The first time the blind man saw Jesus, he saw him with his eyes. The second time the blind man saw Jesus, he saw him with his heart. He saw him with the eyes of faith. He believed in Jesus, and he was saved. When Jesus opens our eyes, we see that the greatest need that we have is a need for God's grace. Do we, do we need a rabbi? Sure. We need instruction. We need people to tell us the truth. Do we need a synagogue? Do we need a community? Do we need friends? Of course we do. That's part of what it means to be a human being made in the image of God. But our greatest need, above all, is not information, is not community. It is Jesus himself. The most important thing that we can have is the gift, and it is a gift of God's grace, the gift of spiritual sight. How do we get it? One word, believe. Believe in Jesus and he will open your eyes. In John Newton's famous hymn, Amazing Grace, we sing, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. That was John Newton's story. It's the story of the man born blind. It's my story. It's the story of everyone who believes. 
Do you see your sin? Do you see how desperately you need God's grace? Do you see Jesus, the light of the world, who gave us the grace that we need by dying on the cross in our place? Do you believe? Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, the light of the world, who stepped down into this dark world of sin and death, of guilt and shame, to give us eyes to see the glory of God. I pray, Lord God, that if there's anyone here who's within the sound of my voice who does not yet see the glory of Jesus, that you would today open their eyes. Lord, may they know that no one is too lost to be found, that no one is too blind that they might see. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are and what you've done for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.